everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rohrkraut. I realized that I should have changed up the intro this week and said, Willkommen, bienvenue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> welcome to our show today. We will be talking about Cabaret, Bob Fosse's fantastic movie musical. It's turning 50 this year. We'll be talking about the film as a whole, how it did the Oscars. It really has a rich history, so I'm excited to dig into this one today. I kind of wish we had the McDowell brothers here, too, because we'll also be talking about our experience seeing the show, The Revival on the West Mm -hmm. End. And as I was doing research, there's such a rich history and so many revivals over the years that like, I'm sure they know a lot more than I did. And it really does seem fascinating. Not only the story that goes back and what it's telling, but the people involved, I was like, whoa, I had no idea. I wish I was in New York when like Michelle Williams was playing and Emma Stone, like just wild. So we'll be diving into so much of this movie. And I think in terms of Fosse, we're kind of capping from the beginning now. He did have Sweet Charity before this, but this was his like big hit that came and we already did all that jazz, which was his last big success too. So this will be a nice way to frame his filmography, his career, and talk about the Oscars, which we've already dived into the Godfather and all of that, but we can kind of bring that back in terms of what we would award for this movie, for that movie, and how things ended up, because it was quite contentious in the end. Yeah. I mean, the whole production was sort of strained from the beginning, and there are a lot of different sources that go into making this script and bringing it together but I think it's a classic for a reason and I'm just gonna ask you right off the bat of our Fosse discussions this year do you prefer all that jazz or cabaret I prefer all that jazz and it's not really that close either cabaret is a great film it's very well made and so much of Fosse's direction is embedded in all of this especially as it gets really dark in the latter half of the movie. Mm -hmm. But I think in him telling his story and all that jazz, I felt so much more persona and warmth, even in all of his cynicism and the death that he revolves himself with. But I do think that here in Cabaret, he's able to exude that as well with the Nazis and all the history in juxtaposing this club which he kind of does in all that jazz too Mm -hmm. with reality and humanity and what's going on outside so it's it's fascinating how these two movies compare as well and having so many layers that you can dive into and talk about because they all do mesh really well together yeah so for me, I definitely prefer all that jazz as well, but it's very close. I think the big difference for me is that all that jazz really like smacks you in the face at the end. And mm-hmm. that editing throughout, like getting you to that point is just so magical. I love it. But with Cabaret, I found it to be so much more terrifying on this watch, where I really like felt... Fosse's direction coming through and how relevant the themes are today and I love how he showed that and how it unfolds but I watched this movie primarily for the music and I actually think that this is a movie musical for people who are not movie musical people aka me (laughs) because 
a lot of modern day movie musicals I have trouble with. They're a little too Disney-fied. The colors seem off. The direction is weird. And we're not seeing people dance. There isn't really a clear point of view. And they don't feel like they're made for adults. And Cabaret, I think, is my... It's in my top three favorite movie musicals of all time. It's like this and Singing in the Rain. So maybe top two. I thought that I maybe wouldn't love it as much. Again, on rewatch after I saw the stage version in London. Because that was... Actually, like a ring of keys moment, to borrow a phrase from our favorite drama twins, Connor and Dylan. But it was a fantastic experience, and I would recommend it to anyone. But let's dive in and talk about Cabaret. So, description of the movie here. In Berlin in 1931, American cabaret singer Sally Bowles, played by Liza Minnelli, meets British academic Brian Roberts, who is finishing his university studies. Despite Brian's confusion over his sexuality, the pair become lovers, but the arrival of the wealthy and decadent playboy Maximilian complicates matters for them both. This love triangle plays out against the rise of the Nazi party and the collapse of the Weimar Republic. As we mentioned, it was directed by Bob Fosse. It stars Liza Minnelli, Joel Grey, and Michael York. This movie won eight Oscars and still has the record for the most wins without a win in Best Picture. So it won sound, score adaptation and original song score, film editing, cinematography, art direction, supporting actor for Joel Grey, Best Actress for Liza Minnelli, and Best Director for Bob Fosse. And it was nominated for two others, Adapted Screenplay and Picture, of course. That's a lot. I think before we dig into the movie, though, let's just talk briefly about our experiences seeing the stage show. We never really talk about theater. But you saw it more recently than I did. So what was your experience like seeing it in London? What did you maybe like more than the movie? And what do you think in the movie works better than the stage show? So my trip to London came after going to Venice. And I was mainly going there to see ABBA perform, (laughs) which was one of the most incredible things. I would absolutely repeat and see Cabaret and ABBA in the same day again, if I could. Sounds so wonderful. (laughs) But coming off of 11 movies was like, do I really want to sit for another two and a half hour show? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mainly went because you said it was life changing. It was so good. So I was like, okay, let's do this. This has to be one of the best musicals I've seen on stage. The vibe of this show, and I love how it's staged too in this circle that moves and everyone's around you, and you're in the Kit Kat Club. That's like what it's modeled after. So you walk in, they cover your phones, and it is like a burlesque club. It's amazing. So you feel like you're in this special experience, like you're in Berlin. And I think overall, it's it's hard because I end up comparing them too much, and I think I like the stage version more than the movie. One, they're very different. There's more music in the stage version, which I do like. And then there are different subplots. There's the subplot between Fräulein Schneider, who runs the boarding house where Mm -hmm. they live, Sally and Brian, and Herr Schultz, who's this German, who is also a Jew. And they fall in love, which gets very emotional. And this rises into that third act. And I think everything there, like you feel it so much more than in the movie, where it's very subtle. Fosse is so subdued in cabaret versus all that jazz. Something I just, like, I left sobbing. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> like couldn't stop sobbing because it goes so much further than Fosse's end in the movie too. It's very quiet. You know, you see the Nazis in the audience in that mirror, which is also very creepy. But in the stage version, you have all of the dancers. You have the master of ceremonies, whose name is Fra Fee. They're all dressed in these Nazi uniforms, and they're marching around the stage. And that's also how the second act picks up as well. And you're you're kind of taken aback so sharply. Yeah. And you start to feel the the relevance of it today mixed with how they're speaking about the Nazi party and they're not really worried. But, you know, now that we know the history of what is to come for them, it's just it's so chilling. So I think how they utilize the characters in the drama of a mirror of what is to come, I think it's a lot stronger and more poignant on stage. And it makes you feel everything a lot harder than I did in the movie. We can get to the movie in a second, but how did you feel about the stage version? What did you love? Oh, and like why I recommended it. So I heard about it to bring them up again from Connor and Dylan McDowell because one of their previous guests on drama was Fra Fee. Because I asked them, of course, like, what do I see when I'm in London? And they recommended Cabaret. And I thought, oh, that's a perfect suggestion because I love the movie. And I've always, like, dreamed of seeing it on stage, but it's just never worked out for me. Like, I've never seen it in New York. I never saw, like, a local production of it or anything like that. So I just, I felt like it was the perfect opportunity to go. And you're right about the experience of seeing it there. Like, feeling like you are in the Kit Kat Club because of this recreation that they do with the space. And, like, being so close to the stage, I do feel like the experience in the theater being a part of that is more emotional, but I find the movie actually to be darker and more visceral. Like it it hits me in a different kind of way, I think because of the editing. The change that you mentioned with Herr Schultz and Fraulein Schneider, I love those characters in the stage version because you really do sort of understand that doomed romance that these older characters have in the show. I think their age also like adds to it because you feel like they've finally found love and Mm -hmm. then that's getting ripped away from them. So it is very sad. And the um, woman who was our Fraulein Schneider was very good when I saw it and her songs that she had um, were very powerful. But I think I understand why Fosse would cut this plot and replace it with this plot line with like Fritz and Natalia and Max because it gets us outside of the space more. So we're most of these scenes are like outside in the country. They're removed from the boarding house. We do have some scenes in the boarding house with them, but mostly it's like outside. So I, I like how he moves us around and intercuts with the Kit Kat club. So I, I understand why he did that um, and incorporated these new characters. But yeah, I think that, What I loved about the stage show, too, is that Tomorrow Belongs to Me is such an evocative, terrifying song. And when you end the first act with that, and then everyone is like in the bathroom sobbing (laughs) because it's so scary. And then you come back and these are British people, too. Like it even moved them. And they're usually like very stoic. And then you come back and like you said, the beginning of the second act starts and it's all of a sudden Nazi Germany. Like we are here. There's no more pretending for our characters. And I think knowing what we know now when you're watching either the movie or the stage version, there is that fear because you know how it ends. 
and you know that the Nazis are going to take over and it's going to get way worse as the story progresses. But I do think you feel it in a more emotional way in the stage version because I feel like you feel closer to those characters and you feel like you're mm-hmm. you're a part of that watching it all unfold. But the movie, I do think it utilizes the club in a very creative way. It feels sort of Brechtian how Fosse involves the audience so much. Whereas I think he does the best that he can. And I do think it's very effective and successful in making us feel like we are there as well with how he moves the camera and how a lot of times we don't just see a song played in the Kit Kat Club straight through. It's very rare. Like we'll have Mm -hmm. a lot of editing to scenes that are outside of the club while certain songs are taking place. And that might bother movie musical fans because it's different. If you're sort of a purist, I can see maybe why you would just want to see Liza sing straight through (laughs) just watching her on that stage. But it really works for me as you see like the life inside and outside of the club in the film. And that's something you obviously can't really do on stage. So I think both definitely have their merits, but if you are going to London or if it's in your area, I highly recommend going to see the stage version. It really was a life-changing thing. I don't say that lightly. Maybe it was because I went alone and I was in a particular mood. I don't know, but it was really, really excellent. I don't think so. I totally agree. It's so prescient, but it's also so fun at the same time. And it revive something in a way that I don't think has been done before. I am curious about how Jesse Buckley and Eddie Redmayne were when this production started. (laughs) Seems like a very interesting duo. (laughs) It really does. It's just, especially, I don't, Eddie Redmayne is the MC, but he won an Olivier for it. Mm -hmm. I can see it. I mean, I think Joel Gray is so... He's so good. Yeah. That image of him is pressed in my mind, but uh, but Frothy was also amazing. Like they were able to embody so many different characters as one person, and I think that's really important for this character. I guess we can kind of transition into the movie now. You at the end of the stage talk just now mentioned the dichotomy between the cabaret, the Kit Kat Club, and everything Mm -hmm. outside from the countryside to the beer garden where we get that tomorrow belongs to me also so chilling and i love how he shoots the kid and then we don't know it at first that he's a hitler youth and we realize that but Mm -hmm. i love the interiors of the cabaret more than the rest of the movie this is maybe my like hot take of this but like the drama the script the focusing on the relationship of Sally and Brian is a little dull to me and that's probably because the cabaret is so exciting and enthralling and all these performances and that's literally what he's doing. Joel Grace said that you know when he was performing this character he viewed the master of ceremonies as this Hitler stand-in and you start to learn that going on is that you know he is this singular person he's entertaining this crowd as a distraction and then in the end you see the Nazis in the crowd so that's where that fits in but you also get the songs here and Liza really performing this Mm -hmm. is where she shines I I think her acting is great too on the outside 
in the boarding house. We can talk about her too. But yeah, I think I have to think back to 1972. An article I read also mentioned that the Stonewall riots just happened. And I was like, holy crap, that was a few years ago. So like the depiction of their sexuality on screen, like things that I would want more of now Mm -hmm. (laughs) is a privilege for where we are now in 2022 versus then. So I think that's a little bit of I have to kind of reel it back and understand that too and why I say that I don't like it as much because it was very provocative for the time and not many Hollywood films were doing that on screen and I think the way they do it again the shot of them three as the music is playing and then stops and it they're just looking at each other in this close-up is really really cool Mm -hmm. I love that yeah Fosse is so like devilish with his camera I think he's he's taking it as far as he can. I I love how like sex positive and forward thinking this movie is around sex and sexuality, especially for 1972. I mean, when we first meet Brian, who I have to ask you, did you recognize Michael York from anywhere? I had to it's... I had I asked Isabel the same thing. I was like, "Wait, do you recognize him or his voice?" It's so distracting because it's Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. <laughs> yes. I can't get that out of my head the whole time. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's that. And also, this is another just like English major reference for me, but he's Tybalt in the Franco Zeffirelli Romeo and Juliet with Olivia Hussey, which oh, wow. I loved growing up. <laughs> I really liked that Romeo and Juliet. We would always get it from the library. I remember his vo- thinking his voice was so, so distinctive. So, mm-hmm. yes, he still has that voice. <laughs> An interesting change, though, like in the movie that I like, and it, I mean, it doesn't really matter, but or Sally is American and Brian is English. And in the stage version, at least the version that I just saw, it's flipped where she's English and he's American. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really have a preference for either way. But it if it means we have Liza Minnelli here, you can call a lot of best actress performances and wins iconic. But when I think of key performances by actresses, like I think of her in that black outfit with the hat sitting on the chair. Like I just I think of her as Sally because she really is this incredible performer who can sing, dance, and act. Like she holds it down in the scenes where we're outside of the cabaret. I I love how like neurotic and playful she seems, but also she has this sadness to her where you know she she wants to be a star and she just wants someone. Like she just wants some sort of connection as she goes through this world. And then when you see her in the cabaret, you're like oh my God, you perform better than anyone I've ever seen. Like just the way that she sings, it's just incredible. And I mean, so many of these songs, like I was listening when I was working on our outline today, I was listening to it, the to the soundtrack. And I just am always blown away by these little things that she does with her voice. It's just, it's, ugh, I love her in this. Yeah, she has the voice. I love the hair. Mm -hmm. which is just so weird, but it fits her. Like I can very easily see that makeup on her as well. I love her nails, her nail polish, Mm -hmm. especially when she describes it as divine decadence. 
Because I also think that's a perfect way to describe the film and just the look of it and how it feels. Like, it feels decadent. It feels divine. But, yeah, everything down to her her nail color. I completely agree. That they live in this boarding house and can't afford anything, but she mm-hmm. looks like opulence and she acts like it. It's such a unique character and I do really love her performance of Sally. Also, there's another part that changed between stage and screen is this Max character who partway through the movie kind of ghosts them after they've been talking about going to Africa. And in the stage version, he ends up being a Nazi, which is also way more chilling. So I think their separation there is more forced on stage and you start to feel the emotion, the hatred from Brian more so. So I like that a lot. I don't know what the change there was or if that was something in the original book by Christopher Isherwood but Sally also plays into that because she's always looking for an escape you know they Mm -hmm. also have this pregnancy later on in the movie and by the end she has an abortion and you can't really get a hold on who this character is like she's always looking for something better maybe this time you know the notable song she has so many great songs but yeah she's a great character study for sure yeah and she I think it would be easy to sort of classify her as this early manic pixie dream girl if you wanted to but she is she's so much more than that and the fact that she is this free spirit and she's the one guiding you through this it's necessary because I think you need that frivolity at first to make it more believable that someone couldn't see this coming right with the nazis like that someone would just be so disconnected from this that they wouldn't fear it necessarily or they wouldn't see it coming but she by the end of it is still singing life is a cabaret i think that disconnect with reality is really important for the tone of the film and it's something that fossey captures really well i also thought of this time when i was watching it about how cosmopolitan berlin seems the beginning of this movie that everyone thinks of you have Willkommen, Bienvenue, Welcome, three different languages. And then you have an American, you have Germans, you have a British person, you have all of these like different cultures, different nationalities and languages coming together to show how cosmopolitan it is and to again make that switch feel even more harsh and even scarier when the Nazis eventually come. So I I feel like it is the perfect setting for it. I keep making comparisons between them like I knew I would. (laughs) But I love how she's so oblivious to the outside world. I mean, you you can't be, but you are and she is to some degree. And I feel like in the movie, she plays it much more lightly than they do on stage. Where the Sally on stage was like tearing herself apart during that ending song cabaret and i feel like liza is still performing as sally and she's carefree and she's here to entertain and Mm -hmm. she's engulfing the stage because she's such a presence and she loves the light she loves everything about it so there's a difference there that i think works maybe better again because we know these characters a bit more intimately you make eye contact with them like that was crazy to me (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> how interactive it was. I actually, I think Liza's performance 
at the end is more chilling to me than if it were like emotional Bigger. and yeah. incredibly heightened because she and Fosse, I feel like they're so committed to its bleakness. And in instead of crying, life is a cabaret. That version, I think, works well on stage. But in the mm-hmm. film, I like how she sort of hasn't changed. It's, I think, one of her strongest songs in the musical. But, like, it's it's this political cabaret instead of it being this, I don't know, experience for her. She's sort of using that song, I think, to comment on the outside world, which mm-hmm. I think is very smart and... Audiences were smarter back then, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I like that play on it. It's it's very very dark. Yeah, and I do like how dark this movie gets. It takes a while. It builds mm-hmm. up. You're kind of slowly made known to the Nazis' existence and their influence and their gain in power just from the public until I think there's like a very clear switch about like two-thirds of the way into the movie one of the moments in both versions that i love is if you could see her through my eyes that song with Mm -hmm. the gorilla i think that's maybe at first too simple of a metaphor for what the experience is but i think by the end of the song when the master of ceremonies is dancing with this gorilla he goes but if you could see her through my eyes she wouldn't look jewish at all and he kind of whispers the statement. And at the end of the movie, you know that there are Nazis in the crowd. So like him to mm-hmm. be able to say this, it also has so many different references of today that we can think of in, in terms of sexuality and gender and just being an other and mm-hmm. being seen differently by society. It's a really touching moment, but also really scary for what we learn and where they become in this being juxtaposed with the marriage between Natalia and Fritz you kind of know like while this is a source of humanity for him you know it's not going to end well for either of them so it's it's also very very sad at the same time jumping back to Sally for a minute one thing also (laughs) sorry I just want to talk about Liza (laughs) I also think a key thing about the Sally character that Liza does really well is that you have to also believe that this Sally character is someone who is just entranced by the cabaret in a way that a young German could be entranced by Nazism. And what I think makes it scary is that because she refuses to take things so seriously and because she has found this life of singing and dancing and how she can feel like she has access this sort of way to live in the theater in that way, I think is very haunting. And it brings to mind maybe how these Nazi youths are feeling and why Mm -hmm. they're so overcome by this outside force. And because she's just still like so invested in her life at the Kit Kat Club and she can't give it up, it makes it so much darker that she can't, she won't get away from that. She won't see the truth or Mm -hmm. take it seriously by the end yeah because i think like you can tell people time and time again that something's going on you can show them evidence you can say like you need to get out of the situation do you see what's happening around you and they don't 
Like, that's very real and scary. And I think when you're, when the, like, key performer who's also pulling you so far into the world is doing that, it makes it even more terrifying. Mm -hmm. We talked about horror elements in All That Jazz and how Fosse can be a horror director. I think he, he has a lot of that here. I think it's just a little bit more under the surface. But, yeah, I, I think he's interested in scaring us, especially with the Master of Ceremonies with Joel Grey. Because the way that he, I think his performance is so, so good. And the way that he's edited into certain scenes is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And makes it, again, it's interesting that you said that about him, about Joel Grey seeing the character as a sort of Hitler stand-in. Because if you remember, one of my favorite edits in the whole movie, and one of the scariest parts, I think, is when they're singing Tomorrow Belongs to Me. And we get that cut to his face. Mm -hmm. And then it cuts back to the Nazi youth. Yeah. So it's, again, like we're, we're sort of in and out of these two worlds. But they're always connected. Even if it can't really be explained. Fosse's making sure that everything is connected. I wish we had more of him. I know he's secluded to the Kit Kat Club, and that's his world, but I really do wish we had more. I love what he's doing. He's quirky and performing, but is also so aware of everything that's going on. And he can like put on a face to look at these people in the crowd knowing who they are. I think, yeah, his, his performance here... Again, Liza is just given more time to do a lot more, and she can go in between these two worlds very seamlessly, but I think he very much holds his ground, and thankfully he's in every scene when we are in the Kit Kat Club, like he's always there. Yes, he's grounded to the Kit Kat Club, and he solely exists there. Sort of like I mentioned how Fosse will try to incorporate him in other places, or at least just flashes of him. This character... Because of his makeup and because of the way that Joel Grey performs in this role, almost feels like he's from another world or a ghostly presence, something like that. I always see this character as just not someone who exists on this plane. And that's always made it scarier to me, too, because I've always felt like this character is who is pulling in sally to the cabaret in a lot of those scenes but also pulling us in to that space and making us more engaged in the songs and in that world and even the way that fossey shoots him and shoots this movie it's almost like you're looking at a broken you're looking into a broken mirror or a disco ball something like that everything is reflected and refracted in a surprising brand new way that makes everything feel a little bit unreal and I like when musicals can do that but at the same time it connects so well to what is happening in the real world Mm -hmm. I don't know this movie hits me in a very um (laughs) in a different sort of emotional way Mm -hmm. than the stage show does but it get it does get me emotionally so there was a 1993 London revival where Alan Cumming was the MC. Oh, he would be very good. Very good. Yeah, I would love to see this. I think he continued this on Broadway, but up to now, this character had been portrayed more as asexual. I love in the movie how he has this makeup, the lipstick, which kind of plays with sexuality. But at the end of the show, 
the MC removes his clothes. And this is the first time that it had been portrayed this way, but he reveals the striped uniform underneath as if he was in a concentration camp. He has the yellow badge, he has the red star and a pink triangle. So he is very much classified as an other. And I think maybe his portrayal in the show is someone who is more sexual. He didn't Mm -hmm. wear as many clothes as other productions either. But I think between the two portrayals, I think Joel Grey comes pretty close to that. I know the ending isn't Mm -hmm. like that, but in a way it is too. He kind of just leaves abruptly. He says, Alfie Zane, goodbye, and leaves. Mm -hmm. It's not this whole song and dance as we get in the beginning when you're coming to the Kit Kat Club. So what you said about sexuality with with the MC, I think also connects with what we experienced with Brian earlier, where he expresses to Sally that he's not interested in women. So we think that he's interested in men, but then we realize he's bisexual. So there's this sort of sexual ambiguity that's there with these characters as there's this love triangle between Brian, Sally, and Max. And I think that that, yes, like is incredibly progressive and everything that we talked about, about liking how this movie is very sex positive, but it also just fits again into that idea that you have to establish a certain mood that these characters are free, like outside of the club and in the club, that there are places where our characters can experience some sort of freedom, which makes it feel harsher when we know it can get taken away and when things are going to become stricter. So I like that. Like, it's just another way, I think, to express the divine decadence, as I said earlier, of the film. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so glad that Fosse, like, yes, he made changes and he changed a lot from the stage show and they added new songs like Money Money and Mine Hair, which I feel like are good additions. I'm so glad that he didn't make it light and warm and fuzzy and some like story about how these people just like escaped or fought the Nazis. Instead, he's making it the story that is incredibly dark. He saw that in the material and he's like, I'm sticking with it in my own way. And that mm-hmm. I think is why I like it so much. He doesn't take the Disney route. He makes a movie musical that's for adults. Could you see Tarantino doing this? Tarantino? He has that dark and violent edge, which I think would be interesting, but he also has those movies where he changes things for the better. Um, that's so interesting. I've never thought of Tarantino making a musical. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a director today who I could see doing this. She's never done a musical, I don't think either, but I could see Sofia Coppola doing it. And I think she wouldn't mm. shy away from the darkness mm-hmm. and she would be really good at the, the decadence. And the Sally, how Sally looks and in shooting what the club would look like. Like, I don't consider her like a modern day Fosse or anything like that. I think they're very different, but I don't think she would shy away from the the bleak elements mm-hmm. for sure. I like that. I like that as a pick. We know Tarantino can do Germany, though. So <laughs> Yeah, we kind of already <laughs> had yeah. the Nazi Germany from Glorious Bastards. But wait, who would you pick if someone did it today? I have another backup. I want like a queer director, so I'm all I can think of right now is Luca Guadagnino. He was my second choice. He was the other one. That I was would be of. so interesting because he has done love elements really well, and he has drama. He has Bones and All coming out soon. Like, not only can he portray the beauty, but I feel like there can be 
a lot of darkness in there too. I mean, Suspiria, again, he's Mm -hmm. been to Germany before, but that would be interesting to kind of Mm -hmm. expand his scope a little bit. I like that too, because you'll, you'll see when you see bones and all the, um, the way he captures beauty in horrific moments is unlike Mm. anything I've ever seen. I'm so excited. Yeah. It's really cool. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I think just briefly, what are some of your favorite songs from the movie? And what musical moments in the movie do you think work the best? I think the opening is one of my favorite musical openings of all time. Mm -hmm. I love the song. It exudes such a positivity and you're immediately drawn into this club. I love, Mm -hmm. like you mentioned, that it uses different languages to really be inviting to all people. And you meet all of the characters, you meet the dancers and the master's ceremonies. It's just very captivating to me. I mentioned, if you could see her through my eyes, I like that one. All of Liza's songs, again, they're all notable. Maybe this time, Cabaret, those are the big two. I mean, as I was watching the movie and afterwards, I just was humming all of these different songs. The music's so good. And they're so catchy, yeah. It kind of snuck up on me. In terms of the soundtrack, like I don't come back to it often, but when I heard maybe this time, I was like, that was Cabaret? Wow. And I can hear like Rachel Berry singing that in the back of my head. (laughs) 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 What about for you? What do you have a favorite or any other than those that I mentioned? Oh my God. I mean, I, I really do love the whole entire film, all the music I love. This is also maybe controversial to movie musical fans. I love that we sort of get breaks for dramatic moments. <laughs> like, it's not just straight music mm-hmm. like Les Mis. It makes the songs feel more impactful. What I love about Liza's songs, specifically maybe this time in Cabaret, which are her two most iconic songs, I would say, from this for sure. Just the desperation in her voice and in her performance. I think at first don't know exactly what she's desperate for like is it to like be a star in this club is it to like grow her career there or is it for something else and she has a couple of lines in these songs that i just think are just like the way she delivers them oh my god i think in maybe this time sorry this is like very nerdy but the section when she says lady peaceful lady happy that's what i long to be the delivery there is just incredible as it builds And then just the finale of the song, just like the last bit, is just a vocal masterclass. Mm -hmm. I know she's very dramatic, but that's what I love about her performance here. And when she says something's bound to begin, it just like she sounds, again, so desperate and hopeful there. And it makes it even more tragic when you know the end. And maybe this time comes pretty early in the movie. And Mm -hmm. yeah, looking at the end with that line that you mentioned because she breaks it off with Brian she says she explains she had the abortion because she's like you know when are we gonna start yelling at each other and Mm -hmm. being this normal couple and she's like I can't be that person and I don't want to live outside of this happier place so that change also is Mm -hmm. very chilling I like that yeah, because it plays much later in the the stage mm-hmm. show. 
it's a song you're sort of waiting for. And I remember that being surprising to me when I saw it on stage because I was like, wait, we usually get this song so much earlier because I was thinking about the movie. And when she sings Cabaret, she's so good at the vocals here. But you just want to shake her by the end (laughs) (laughs) because she's still just just stuck here. Like that desperation is there still. But she's like, let's stay here. Like, that's what it sounds like to me. Mm -hmm. It's like, let's have fun. Let's be free spirits. Life is a cabaret. Let's make it a cabaret here. You just want to be like, Liza, life is not a cabaret. (laughs) But it is for her (laughs) here. So I, I love that one. I think, though, that the scariest, I mean, Tomorrow Belongs to Me, which has really been just adopted as this, like, Nazi youth song still, um, the way that Fosse shoots that is so harrowing. We have these extreme close-ups of multiple Nazi youth faces as they pop up in the crowd, and the lyrics alone are troubling enough, but when you see the passion in Mm -hmm. their faces as they're singing this, and you see that they're all so young... It's terrifying. And it comes at the perfect point in both the film and the stage show as well. Right in the middle. But yeah, all the music is great. Okay, so let's transition into the actual Oscars. We're at the 45th Academy Awards now. Again, Cabaret and The Godfather were both the big players of the night. They both had 10 nominations. Really quick, I mean, they were so spoiled. Can you imagine <laughs> if these two movies are like your one and two? <laughs> That's nuts. Well, it's the best of the year. The Oscars year aren't and, as good anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is how it's supposed to be, right? Like, the best mm-hmm. movies get the most. You would think. So things had sort of been split, but mostly in Cabaret's favor throughout award season. So going into the awards night, Cabaret was way on top before the final three awards. It had won most of them. And then the final few went to The Godfather. So... Godfather won picture, we had Fosse win director, which everyone thought was like a major switch from what was going to happen. Like Coppola mm. not getting the director award was kind of wild. But I think now that we've discussed both of these movies, like would you, one, have changed either of those awards? And then two, we can talk about their eight Oscars. Would you have switched any over for The Godfather? And then we can get to our, do you think anything was snubbed question as well? Oh, this is hard. I mean, I love both movies, but The Godfather is like top five favorite film of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that The Godfather is more influential and more epic. So I'm inclined to keep its best picture win. I think that that's great. And I think it deserved it. But I'm okay with a director picture split here. Because I do think that Fosse did an incredible job directing this. And... Knowing what we know now, I'm okay with Coppola getting director for part two. Because, as you know, I adore part two as well. And think he deserved it for that. So, I think that this is a perfect year for a split. They're both great movies to me. And I think that the direction in this one really shines. As opposed to how well it holds up as a film. I think that Godfather is just a more important piece of pop culture than Cabaret. Mm -hmm. If I'm thinking of it just in terms of picture. What about you? I'm going to go with both for The Godfather. Only if we can fast forward a few years and then give Bob Fosse the award for all that jazz and take it away from Robert Benton for Kramer vs. Kramer. 
I'm firmly in this camp. I know that Coppola gets it. Yes, two years later for part two, but I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's I, fair. The Godfather just stands. It's the Godfather. So, yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, there's no. We don't have to. De- <laughs> yeah. Explain why. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the all that jazz one is true. I think you could also make the case that year. I wouldn't do it, but I feel like a lot of people would that Coppola right. could have won that year for Apocalypse mm-hmm. Now. Some people consider that his best film, which is crazy to me personally. <laughs> I go with The Godfather every time, but yeah, it's it's interesting that they faced off a few times. Mm-hmm. And I would be okay with Fosse getting both, but if I had to pick one for Fosse, I would do all that jazz. But here I'm saying I'm okay with the split. Mm-hmm. And just to frame it a different way, I would rather The Godfather win picture and Fosse win director than Cabaret win picture and Coppola win director. Oh, totally. I mean, if that's the question, also there's the question if The Godfather had won eight and Cabaret had won three, is this like, did it win too many kind of question that we're kind of framing this as for Cabaret? I don't think so. I do think that all of the wins for Cabaret make sense, but I actually feel like it would be less surprising if The Godfather had won eight. Because if you said like The Godfather won, let's just say off the top of your head, Picture, director, adapted screenplay, lead actor for Brando, let's say Pacino and supporting, like that's five right there. <laughs> they couldn't win the big five because no women have <laughs> substantial yeah. roles really in the film. But then you could say score, let's make the score eligible, cinematography, let's mm-hmm. give Gordon Willis a nomination and we could do film editing. Mm-hmm. That's eight. Yeah. I wouldn't take, if that was the case, I, I mean, I, I would think that all of those were deserving. I mean, I think they kind of made up for it with part two mm-hmm. in a lot of those categories that it was either snubbed in or the technical categories that it didn't win for. But yeah, it's kind of crazy. You always think back to this and it's three wins versus Cabaret's eight is wild. I guess I, I never think about how The Godfather only won three Oscars. Mm-hmm. It's a really small haul. I mean, it's two, kind of, if you think of it, like, does the best actor win count? I mean, it counts, but he declined the award. I don't know. The Godfather has the same number of wins (laughs) as Coda. (laughs) How the mighty have fallen. (laughs) Would you replace any of the eight wins for Cabaret with anything from The Godfather? Would you make any switches? I'm curious what you'll say for this one. Well, you just mentioned a few. I think I'll keep editing, which is very hard to say, but Mm -hmm. Fosse is just so good at editing. The really short cuts here, it's a blink and miss moment multiple times. And yeah, like even just Tomorrow Belongs to Me as you edit through the crowd with these closer and closer close-ups and people just joining in and starting to sing louder and louder. Like that's, it's just perfect. But I will switch over cinematography to The Godfather. I think you could also make a case for supporting actor. I'm kind of curious for you there if you would give it to one of the three Godfather noms. But what's what's your answer overall? I also would keep editing for Cabaret. I would keep most of these actually for Cabaret. Like sound, score, adaptation, and original song score. Editing. Oh my god. The yeah. editing here is just... It's so good. And the editing in The Godfather is fantastic as well. But David Bretherton is the name of the editor for Cabaret. 
Um, and he he really killed it here. Cinematography, it is a great travesty that the Academy did not nominate the Prince of Darkness, Gordon Willis, here. His shots in The Godfather are iconic. I can think of 10 off the top of my head that I love and that I think of when I think of my favorite shots in all of film history. But the cinematography in Cabaret is great. Like, so it's not a bad win or anything like that. It's it's a good win. It's just that I will always prefer Gordon Willis's cinematography to Jeffrey Unsworth. But did you know that he shot 2001 A Space Odyssey? So he's a very talented Ooh, guy. Amazing. And he did um, Pal and Pressburger films too early in his career, um, like The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp and A Matter of Life and Death. So he has a pretty extensive filmography of... You know, very well shot films. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I just, I will always think of, I'll always think of The Godfather in cinematography. Okay, the time has come for the supporting actor conversation. I would keep it with Joel Gray. I feel like what he does in this role is excellent and it has to be a little bit off. It has to be a little uncanny. And I think that he and Liza are a perfect duo throughout the movie. Like I, I love both of these performances so much and I feel like without Joel Gray's performance, this movie doesn't work in the way that it does. And I'm so happy that he was brought on and the movie would not have been made actually if he was not <laughs> in that role. So I'm very happy that he was there. So I would stick with him and I would move Pacino to lead and give him the win there instead of Brando. <laughs> That's my solve. <laughs> because he's a lead. That's my take on that. And yeah, I would also keep Gray. This was his only nomination and win. And we know that Al Pacino would go on and win. So I think this is fine. And you know where Joel Gray's from? Is he an Ohioan? He's from Cleveland. Oh, how cool. So we have to to stick with him. Our master of ceremonies from Cleveland. (laughs) Do you think anything was snubbed? I know 10 nominations is quite a bit, but anything you would add? It's quite a bit because... There weren't certain categories back then. There was no makeup and hairstyling in 1972 that I would have given it. I would have said that. But besides that, there's really nothing else to give it besides costume design. And I think I would. It's not a showy element. And I think apart from the Kit Kat Club, there's less of note. I think Sally's gowns, that's a big thing for her. A lot of her dress wear. But... I, I could be convinced either way on that category. Yeah. So there, yeah, there isn't much. What would you do? One, the costume design winner for that year was Travels with My Aunt. And I need you to watch this movie because I just, <laughs> I'm so curious what you would think of it. It's a George Cukor film with Maggie Smith in a role oh that God. is very miscast. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want you to watch it. But I would agree, like, costume design, I could see it getting in there. I think the one I would add would be original song. We had a couple of options that were not in the stage version that have become classic, I think, additions to it. Mm -hmm. Like Mine Hair, which I mentioned earlier, and Money Money. Either of those put them in. I mean, a lot of these songs, I have no idea what they are. The Morning After from the Poseidon Adventure 1. And then we have Ben from Ben. Come Follow, Follow Me from The Little Ark. 
Marmalade, Molasses, and Honey from The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean and Strange Are the Ways of Love from The Stepmother. I wanted to do the Poseidon Adventure for one of our episodes. I don't know why, but Shelley Winters, Gene Hackman. What would that have been for? Um, it was for a 1972 year conversation, but there's still time. There's plenty of time. We could do we could do anything. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say the only reason I know anything from this list besides that title is that Michael Jackson performed Ben when he was 14 years old at the ceremony. Which is just crazy. That's what that is. But even that movie sounds really weird. I mean, look at the poster for the movie. (laughs) It's a rat. What is this film? Where Willard ended, Ben begins. Sequel to the film Willard. Is Willard a horror film? Wait, why do I feel like I've seen Willard before? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, this is a crazy tangent. Yes, okay, Willard is a horror film. I've definitely, I've seen this movie. They came out in back-to-back years. It's, yeah. I didn't know there was a sequel. Oh, wait a second. There was a remake with Crisp and Glover, and you will definitely recognize oh. stills from this. Okay. From 2003. Oh my god, yes, wait, now I know what this is. Do you know? Yeah. I haven't seen any of these versions in this story, but... But you recognize, mm-hmm. well, Crispin, the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's my answer to what would, <laughs> what was snubbed. <laughs> and then, how do you think today's Academy would receive this movie? That's hard. I think that the Academy does like musicals still to some extent. Like they can do very well. But I wonder if they would get it today. It's so dark. I think there would be enough there to nominate it and to praise it in some ways but i don't think it would be winning eight oscars that's for sure what about you i think the artistry is there where it would have a pretty good showing at the awards i don't think it would do as well as it did here but yeah i don't think it wins eight i think it may get that many nominations and win like four or five but i think it's tough nowadays anyway like it did have great returns it made 24 million on a pretty small budget but i think for like large best picture appeal getting in in a lot of the categories it just doesn't have that and that's not a slight it's just the audience has changed and if you could give this movie one oscar what would it be it's for liza minnelli easy answer you know we talked about her for the majority of this podcast and she was very deserving. I love her character and what she does with it. You know, as the character changes over time and different people perform her, I think Liza did it in a very unique way and one that being captured on film is maybe the best. Yeah. I think that people would be shocked if I didn't say Liza Minnelli <laughs> because best actress for Liza Minnelli is my answer. This is one of my favorite best actress wins, period. Definitely top 10. I think that she defines this character. I love how over the top she is at times and how she becomes this character. I know that's so cheesy to say and actors should become their characters when they're in a film, but I love what she does here. I love that you can see her desperation. You can see every emotion in her eyes and she is such a triple threat here, singing, dancing, acting. I love this performance and everything that she does with the character and... 
I know the cabaret is really popular, but I also have to recommend New York, New York, which is a very underseen Martin Scorsese film. She is so good in this movie. I know this film has naysayers. That's fine. I am not one of them. I saw a rare print of it at the Museum of Moving Image last year, last fall, and I was blown away by it, specifically by her performance. So she has a lot of great stuff out there, but Cabaret is the perfect place to start. Well, it was a fine affair, but now it's over. Alfie <laughs> <laughs> Dussain. We discussed Cabaret, its 50th anniversary. So as you could probably tell, we recommend this film. Right now, it's not on streaming, but you have to rent it. But I definitely recommend, if you do like this movie or if you like collecting physical media, the Warner Brothers Archive Blu-ray is pristine. So... You can also watch it that way. And let us know if you have any other ideas for anniversary episodes you'd like us to cover. It doesn't have to be 50th. It can be like any anniversary that's in 2022 um, of big Oscar movies. We have Lawrence of Arabia coming as a little tease, which will be a monster of an episode. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite Best Picture winners ever. I can't wait to talk about it. And next time on Oscar Wilds, we'll have a fun little Halloween anniversary episode we will be talking about the classic whatever happened to baby jane this is our first joan crawford film (laughs) ever in oscar wilde history i'm so 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 excited to talk about joan crawford and my love for her and betty davis and this movie was believe it or not an oscar winner it won costume design black and white but we also had Nominations for Sound, Cinematography, Black and White, Supporting Actor, and Best Actress for Betty Davis. No Joan Crawford here. I can't wait to dig into that. And (laughs) the psycho-bitty genre. I love it. (laughs) The drama. There's plenty to be discussed. Yeah, I love that it's October. Watching all of our Halloween movies. I'm not sick of any Mm -hmm. yet, but I am well underway. Criterion has this 80s horror selection also which maybe Mm -hmm. we can talk about because there's some really good ones on there as well but yeah i'm excited for this this is probably the earliest horror movie i ever saw (laughs) really like in your your life like as a kid yeah amazing we need to say well we'll save that story for the episode because i'm i'm very excited to hear it but yeah this is a rich text Well, thank you all for listening. Feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on socials at Oscar Wilde Pod. And also listen to our Patreon. We have a mini-series there on Benefer, which will be ending and also including more Halloween content very soon and more Smash or Pass content. Lots more fun there. That's (laughs) been a fun little journey for us so far. So feel free to check that out. That's at patreon.com slash Oscar Wilde. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.